and welcome to Novel Thoughts, a book chat podcast hosted by me, Sapphire Bates. And me, Michelle Thomas. And me, Joseph Dance. Three book lovers from East Kent. Every week, one of us will pick a book, maybe an old favourite or something they've just read and loved, and the three of us will read and discuss it. We'll also chat about what culture we've consumed that week and take questions from you, our lovely listeners. But before we start, I should say this week we're doing something a little bit different. Michelle is away over the Christmas break, sunning herself in warmer climes. So to save on the heating bill at home, Joseph and I thought we would jump into the studio and spend some time discussing and dissecting our best books of 2023. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Sapphire. How are you? (laughs) Not too bad. I'm excited for Christmas. So we should say... Even though this is going to come out, yeah, we do need to be uh, honest about this post Christmas. So it's going to come out, I believe, on the twenty seventh. But we're actually recording the week before. So you are post Christmas, we are pre Christmas. So we're in a weird position where it's like Schrodinger's Christmas. Yeah, it's kind of there, but it's not. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> How are you? How has your week been? I'm fantastic. I've had a great week. I've had a great uh, reading week, actually. Given that there's been a lot going on at home in prep for Christmas. I've um, read some fantastic books, which I'm going to share with you soon. But what have you been up to? Mainly reading, reading and prepping for Christmas, but kind of, uh, I'm I'm real last minute. Like I, I do often leave things and then all of a sudden Christmas Eve, I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I still have things to do. So yeah, uh, sort of sorting things out, but mainly just reading books. So with that in mind, shall we shall we chat about what we read this week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, fill me in. What what do you read? Okay, so I think I think I got this recommendation from you. Actually, I have been reading. Yeah, I've I've eventually taken up one of your recommendations. <laughs> Joke, listeners, they're amazing. Um, so I've been reading Ghost Music by Anne Yu. Do you know about this one? I do indeed. Okay, it's her second novel, and it's just come out in paperback. Uh, I think in November, a little while ago. It's brilliant. So this one is the story of a young piano teacher, Song Yang, who's living a fairly pedestrian life in Beijing. And she's sharing her apartment with her emotionally distant husband and an even more emotionally distant mother-in-law. And she's basically adrift. You know, she, um, she likes her job. Uh, but it's not particularly rewarding. She's got her heart set on getting pregnant, but her husband's not interested in starting a family. It's kind of like a a failure to to launch situation. This all changes when Song starts receiving packages of mushrooms through the post from a mysterious sender, and she starts having some very, very strange dreams. I'm not going to say anymore, but I will say one of the reviews I read before I picked up the book said ghost music felt reminiscent of early Murakami. You're nodding. And I quote his graceful, open-ended approach to the uncanny. I mean, I love Murakami, so this was definitely music to my ears Mm. and a big endorsement to read this book. And I would agree. I think and, and you, like Murakami, is really good at showing how the fantastical can quietly upend um, everyday life yeah. in humorous and profound ways. Plus, crucially, there are many references to mouth-watering mills and classical music throughout the book. So it's very Murakami in that sense too. Yeah. I mean, so I've not I've not read all of it yet, but it is on my pile and I have, Great. have dived in to part of it. But I must say, I don't really like descriptions of food. Oh, okay. What, you don't like? Descriptions of lip smacking and chomping, or you don't like descriptions of the actual food itself? Bit of both. Okay. I, I don't know what it is. Um, 
It could just be the right novel hasn't necessarily grabbed me that's about food. But I think of, I can think of a couple books, which I'm not going to name and shame because I feel like that's mean. Which have the ick factor for you. Yes, and, and they revolve around food and I'm like, ew. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at it from the perspective that I'm an incompetent and lazy chef. So, you know, beans on toast is basically where I'm at. So if someone's cooking something fantastic in a book, I'm going to live vicariously through that experience. Okay, fair. Even I, if I, it is a bit icky. I still, yeah, I, I still love love the sound of it. And, I've, and I love the cover and I'm intrigued by the mushrooms. So I, I think that might still be worth persevering. Definitely through. give it a go. And I'm going to say on the strength of this book, I'm going to go back to her debut novel, Braised Pork, sorry, mm. food title. <laughs> and read, God damn it. <laughs> read that too. Well, the, one of the books I read this week um, was a little bit cringy, but I loved it. So I read Throne of Glass by Sarah J. Mass. Nice. So off the back of the old fourth wing uh, love that I had and that whole romanticy kind of vibes, I picked up Throne of Glass because it's quite a long series. And I thought, OK, well, if I like this one, then I've got, I think there's six, seven, maybe eight in the series and that gives me kind of a long way to go and much like with fourth wing it's just so much fun to read about imaginary places and it's all quite light-hearted like it really does remind me of being a kid again when i used to read things like narnia which i love yeah me too it gives me that same kind of vibes and there wasn't too much romance in this so i yeah i'm not really there for the romance I was going to ask, how raunchy, how closed door um, are books like Fourth Wing and Sarah J Mass? They're books? a bit... I mean, there are lots of sex scenes in Fourth Wing anyway and Iron Flame. There, there were, I don't think anyone has sex in Throne of Glass. There's some kissing, but that's about it. Okay. Well, um, some, you, know when the men, you know when the men lean their hands over the doorframe and they like lean over a woman? I like feel they're like... Don Draper or something. <laughs> yeah, I feel the like... the 1950s. I feel like it's a TikTok thing. But they're elves. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I that's just in there a lot. Okay, that's in there a lot. I just don't mm. understand how people can be having sex around dragons. I'd just be panicking all the time. Well, I don't think the dragons are there at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think okay. it's like mid-flight or like... Thanks, thanks for clearing that up for me. So it's not like... it's not. On the wing. No. Okay. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't be bothered to read it now. They're really fun. Um, there's no there's no dragons in Throne of Glass. And I wasn't sure if I was going to like it because this has more like fae and kind of like old magic. Yeah, this is what I've heard. Yeah. I've not I, read any of hers, so... I, I got a bit scared of like it being twee. So essentially, um, Throne of Glass, there is your main character and she is um, like a world-renowned kind of assassin. Um, and has been since she was young when she was orphaned. And it's she's recruited by the prince of... I think it's the Prince of Ardelaine, I think is how you say it. Well remembered. Thank you very much. <laughs> and yeah, I'm not even reading from notes here. Um, she's not. And so the, the king's son recruits her to be a part of this championship. Um, it's kind of competition where you get to be the king's champion. And there's all these different kind of thieves and criminals and soldiers um, and all these kind of dukes and important people within like the kind of like castle and, and this particular kind of royal family have put forward to all compete to be the king's champion. Um, but then there's kind of dark forces and there's 
things that get in the way. And I believe I'm not giving anything away because I believe this is on the synopsis off the top of my head. The champions kind of start, a couple of the champions die and it's like, oh, is this a pattern? Is someone hunting out each right. of the potential so champions one being by one? baked in from the start. And I've got to say, this sounds like the perfect Christmas book. I mean, there's mm. questing, feasting, maidens, a party, it's death. D- death. It's fun. I mean, it's... you kind of want that if you're spending Christmas with your family sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Just me. <laughs> it depends on the, <laughs> depends on the family, I guess, but yeah. It's it's yeah, it's the kind of thing you curl up in front of the fire and you get cozy and you put the candles on and it you just get into it and you think, "Okay, this is totally unrealistic, but I'm here for it." Yeah. We're here to escape. So I'm definitely going to read the next ones in the series. Amazing. And you've enthused me. I think I'm going to pick one up. It's Yeah, it's fun. You need to balance these things out. It doesn't always have to be high concept books and like really literary. And I think there's space for all kinds of books. Yeah. We don't have to read Derrida every week. No. I Yeah. Or ever. <laughs> or ever. <laughs> it's what I was thinking. So what else have you been reading? I read, have you read The Seaplane on the Final Approach? No, what an amazing title. Um, by Rebecca Rook, Rook Sayer. Okay. I might have just butchered that, I'm not sure. Sorry, Rebecca, if I have. <laughs> um, you know what's really interesting about this book? So I got sent a proof. I don't think it was a proof. I think it was a finished copy, but I got sent it by a publisher um, to read. And I thought, oh, this looks really interesting. It's it's like this kind of sky blue cover um, and it's quite vague, but it just something about the font and the way it was put together really caught me. And then what I realised, which only realised after I had finished the book, was that we actually have this book in, the, in my bookshop, but it's a different cover. And I hated the other cover. So it's been published... Oh, right. Like so the, twice. the proof had a stronger cover game. Well, no, I think, I think it's just got two published covers, if that makes sense. So that, it's been no, like that can republished. But in the same territory. Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and the first one was like purple and it was like, yeah, purple and turquoise. Hideous. Absolutely hideous. And I, I didn't even really give it a second glance. I was like, no, nah, I don't like it. And then I read this other cover and I was like, oh, it's really good. It's um, a bit raunchy. It's kind of like there's this woman, or I should say girl, and she goes to Alaska and she kind of, it's a bit of an, uh, I don't want to say it's an adventure, but it kind of is. I don't want to say too much because I feel like I'm going to give too much of it away. But essentially there's some raunchy bits. There's Alaskan weather. There's a whole bunch of characters it's really, it, it's really good. It's really good. Oh, no, we're back to it's really good. I was just going to ask, does Alaska have weather? I think it's kind of just one setting, isn't it? Is it? No. Am, I, am I mansplaining Alaskan weather to you? I think you are. Yeah, okay. No, because like, it has sunshine and stuff and it snows and then sometimes it doesn't snow. Sometimes it rains. <laughs> Fair point. I'll take that. Yeah, so take that back. So, anyway, I've read that and I, and I really liked it. Um, and I... It's not a very wintry one necessarily, even with the Alaskan weather. Um, to me, it felt almost a bit more spring reading because I don't know if it's the promise and the age where she's kind of coming of age, the character. So you're kind of full of hope. Things are blossoming. That gives me spring vibes. Mm. But it is a really good book. So I read it anyway and I loved it. Okay. Well, I also read uh, Wellness by Nathan Hill. Okay. Have you heard of it? I have seen it 
talked about on yeah. YouTube and Bookstagram. And um, it seems to be a really big book at the moment. Tell me about it. I think I also might have mentioned it at the end of the last episode. You did. Um, yes, you did. Because I'd started it, but I hadn't finished it. Or I don't know if I... Yeah, I mentioned it somewhere in that episode as I've started this. I finished it um, and got more and more into it as I went through. It's kind of like the... D, uh, the kind of this is like the evolution of a marriage that's kind of slowly falling apart but there's this really the one of the main characters which is obviously wife husband the wife works for a company called wellness and they i don't think i'm saying too much here um essentially they test out almost like wellness trends and fads by using placebos to see and running these kind of controlled studies to see whether the effect of that trend or that fad, such as maybe a juice diet, does mm. what it claims to do. Um, and then it kind of goes on from there. But parts of it are written almost actually like an academic paper. Like she will talk about, she's the main character is really like obsessed with her parenting skills and all these she uses all these psychology studies and science studies to kind of back up the way that she parents and when she's kind of thinking about them she'll actually think like smith 2012 much like you do in an academic paper she references the okay kind of like i researchers. mean perhaps not a great comparison but like daisy jones vibes like a novel built from lots of like documentary evidence sort of but i i didn't like daisy jones so i i don't like that like that comparison because okay, I really I'm hated sorry. that I, book. <laughs> I retract. Um, but yes, that idea. I mean, it's not it's not all the way through the book. Um, it's just in some of her chapters. And I just thought it was really interesting. And I believe when I finished the book and I was reading for once, actually reading kind of, you know, the stuff at the end. Um, what actually was the proper word for that, Joseph? You'll know this. The stuff at the end. I mean, yeah. it depends what it is. Um, Were you just looking at the back cover for hours on end, no, like hypnotised by the, the like colour? The last few pages of a book, oh, it has a word that I can't think of. Like the, the end pages? Acknowledgements and like... Oh, acknowledgements. I mean, it could be an index. I mean, help me out here, Saf. <laughs> Sorry. What, what's written I, on these pages? <laughs> Essentially, as, from what I can remember now, but now I'm, I'm getting held to this because this is going out to the public. Um, hopefully I don't look like an idiot. I'm pretty sure they're real studies that were used... Oh, in the book okay so all the ref like all the citations and yeah, the yeah, references yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. are real so even though she's thinking about it as i was reading these things because she talks about all these psychology things and obviously i love psychology i was thinking is that a real study because that's fascinating and then i got to the end of the book and was flicking through the kind of acknowledgement pages and i was like oh i think they're actual real studies which i thought was clever this there seems to be a real trend nowadays with non-fiction novels so novels that are built around real things that happened i mean yeah benjamin Labateur, have you do you know about him the no. spanish writer um his book that came out a couple of years ago talked about the kind of the history of western physics and mathematics and he, he described it as a a non-fiction novel because he essentially went into the characters of these different scientists and um theoreticians and, and mathematicians and, and kind of told stories based on their lives and their archives I love but, that. But there's that element of kind of this actually did happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I love the idea that you could read fiction and then have learnt stuff that's real. You know, like I could yeah. have read a story, but equally I've got more knowledge up here in my brain bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all that I've read this week. So 
I think we should move on along. What do you think? Yep, absolutely. Are we going to talk about our top books of 2023? Oh, yes, we are. Which was really difficult. It was really difficult to pull together this list. I don't know about you, but I I had to, I changed my list about seven, eight times. Yeah, I kind of went through, I think, everything that I've read this year. And it was just really hard. I, I don't... Because, you know, people always say to you, what's your favourite book? I don't have a a favourite book. I don't know about you, but it changes all the time because I'll read something new and be like, that was incredible. Yeah. I, there's just too much good and, stuff yeah, out there. Absolutely. And like, what's my favourite book at 16 might be different to what's my what my favourite book is at 28 or 41. And it's genre specific as well. And I don't just want one favourite. No, I want like 102. We're already <laughs> breaking the rules that we've imposed on ourselves. Yeah, why have we done this? I don't know. We didn't make the rules. We just heavily policed them. We did. We are. We, we do. do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we've chosen five, five each, I think. You've chosen five too, I've, right? I've chosen five. Yeah. I, yeah. Really hard. And... I mean, we're not even at the end of 2023 yet, so I could totally change these we'll again. We'll do another 10. But, <laughs> yeah. Good. Tell me about your first book. I chose uh, The Glutton by A.K. Blakemore. Uh-huh. Yes, you've raved about this before. Tell I me, did. Tell me about The Glutton. Okay, so it is based on a true story, or as true as we know, anyway. Maybe, I would say a true story, but perhaps quite a mythical story. So about a, a, a guy who could eat anything spoons forks hats belts anything um and it's rumored that he ate a child and so the glutton is taking this story um and making it fictionalized and like the author has put in what she thinks that that person's life is like like how did they start to eat everything and, and what happened to them and it follows our main character from when they are young and they are in the rural kind of French countryside all the way through their kind of, through their story, basically, through parts of their life. Um, it takes you into Paris. It takes you kind of all over France. And it's really, really beautifully written and described. And really, yeah, I, I think I said on a previous episode is what really made me love realize that i actually do oh, like yes. historical, you into historical fiction. fiction yes i have to say i blanked out after you said he ate a child i didn't hear anything else you said because i'm i'm still reeling from that can you he, he ate a child obviously no spoilers but well did he didn't he i mean that's the rumor and and you i think it's on the synopsis um so i don't think i've i've given anything that you wouldn't go into it knowing sure. and i think i didn't know that this was based on a true story until uh nick what saw me reading it and said oh that's based on that actual thing isn't it and i was like huh <laughs> like what and he was like yeah how would he know oh, he just knows all these random historical He's just a things of knowledge he is um so yeah I, perhaps people will <laughs> have heard of that too and know that anyway but yeah you don't you don't know if he has or if he hasn't you kind of you've got to read the story to find out that also makes it sound quite dark and actually i found it more beautiful and interesting than i did dark okay and can I ask, and can you tell me, without giving any spoilers, what what motivated this dude to eat all this stuff? I can't answer that because I feel that that will... I think that 
that does then give away spoilers. That takes us to Spoilersville. Yeah. Okay, so I just need to read the a book. A big part of the, yeah, the book is like... I, I, I just, as I was asking that question, I thought, this is supremely unfair to ask this question. Yeah, it put me in a difficult spot there. This is the heart, the beating heart of the novel <laughs> yeah. you've just read. It's really good. And I now do need to read The Manning Tree Witches, um, which is by the same author and was came out before The Glutton. Love a um, witchy novel. Yeah, I, do, I didn't... And there's been so many great witchy novels over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. There's so, been loads. Okay. Okay, what's, your, what's on your list? So I um, have picked Julia by Sandra Newman. The 1984 retelling. Yes. So I absolutely love this novel. So Julia is, and I might be getting this wrong, but I think it's a feminist reimagining of 1984. Um, So it's published 75 years after George Orwell's original novel. And like the original, it sets in a Britain where torture, mass surveillance and political suppression have created dystopian society, as you'd expect. However, this time around, the story is told from the perspective of Julia Worthing, who is Winston Smith's lover in the original book. And as a result, we get to see, I guess we get to see Orwell's kind of vision from a completely different perspective. And and I thought that was really interesting because it's one which specifically kind of captures the plight of women under totalitarianism. I should ask, have you read 1984? Is that a rude question to ask? I never know if I yeah, can ask you, if people have read classics. Do you think I have or do you think I haven't? That's the question here. That is that is the question, isn't it? And I'm going to say, should I just continue talking about this book and just, we can get back to that? So I have read 1984. Okay, fantastic. I don't yeah. read a lot of classics, but I have um, because I love dystopian. So I felt I had to go back and read some of the classic kind of dystopian um, kind of like... The iconic novels. Yeah. The, it's kind of like, to, so you get like a, a reference point for then what you're reading in contemporary Yes, because so many fiction. of the contemporary ones, I feel like, are inspired by some of these classics. Totally, totally. So, yes, I have, I have read 1984. I haven't, however, read uh, Julia. Okay. Well, I'd recommend it. And I'd say a big reason I love this novel is Julia herself, who is a fantastic lead character. So on the surface, she's she's like this cheerful, capable model citizen. But privately, she's a bit of a cynic who's all about her own pleasure. Um, and she'll often do quite morally ambiguous things to keep herself alive in this kind of dystopian society. There is a lot of black humour in the book, um, which I loved. And julia's witty and sometimes inappropriate commentary during quite dark moments is it's like the it's like the weird drumbeat of this novel she's just got a really fascinating mind it's a fascinating character um and we were just talking about 1984 the novel does stick quite faithfully to the key plot points of 1984 and i thought it was quite fascinating to see these iconic scenes played out from a different camera angle so to speak but that said I wouldn't say Julia is kind of like a tribute act to 1984. Do you know what I More was, of a standalone. I was just thinking to... Because it is... Because you just used that ter- that terminology of like another camera angle, which I liked. Um, very clever. That's my Netflix brain. Mm, yeah. Smart. Do you need permission to do that? Well, I thought... Yeah, no, this is a really good question because I thought she'd just gone off and thought, oh, I could do this better than him. <laughs> God, wasn't Winston Smith a miserable bugger? I'm going to bring in Julia Worthing. No, so the George Orwell estate, as far as I know, put out a contract 
to say who wants to write a... I don't know what wording they use. Who wants to write a companion piece or who wants to write... It's not a sequel. It's... <laughs> We're bored of this. Who wants, to, who wants <laughs> yeah. to write another? God, we've been dealing with this book for 75 years. <laughs> Someone just jazz it up with some sex, please. Um, so she was the second choice. We'll mm. never know who the first choice was. That was going to be my question. I was oh, no, like, but... I wonder who number one was. <laughs> yeah, Jilly Cooper. <laughs> but I'm really glad she did write this book because... Um, I think it's a fantastic companion piece to 1984, if you love the original. And I would say, even if you haven't read the original, you don't need to to, to get Julia. Do you think it's going to... Do you think it's going to get more people reading 1984, so people that might read Julia and then be like, oh, I actually really enjoyed that, so maybe I could read 1984? Yes, absolutely. I think so. I, I think it's like... There are lots of books, aren't there, where, they, where the author's taken a side character and turned them into the, the main character. I'm thinking of books like Wide Cigar So See by Jean Rhys, who took Bertha from the attic in Jane Eyre yeah. and turned her into the main character. And lots of people who discovered that then thought, well, I just I want to know what Jane Eyre's all about. I want to know how this fits in. Um, so definitely, I think it would motivate people to revisit 1984. I definitely, I, I mean, I didn't reread the whole book, but I went back and read like the crucial scenes. Maybe like that's how I could end up writing a book. Because it's kind of like cheating a bit, isn't it? Because you're, the world is already built and you just take the cat. You're really frowning at me, but stay, stay with me. Because you're like... I'm, I'm, I kind of feel like you're, you're like, a, like a hair's breadth away from like talking about using a time machine, maybe. No, but I'm just thinking if you, if you... By kind of taking a character out of a book and being like, okay, I'm going to write a book that shows this character's journey because that I felt that that was left out of this novel yeah um loads of it's already built for you the character's already built for you so you just kind of like then get to use your imagination to fill in the gaps it's like painting by numbers this is like being a lazy novelist or like a quiet quitting novelist or just like uh you know I'm I'm not I'm not a novelist but you know it's just me (laughs) thinking oh maybe that's a way I could actually write a book I'm not a novelist I don't know how to write but I did (laughs) think this could be improved I'm going to. Um, didn't Stephanie Myers do this recently? Or maybe I'm getting her name is wrong. Is she the one that did Twilight? And now she's writing it from, is it Edward's perspective? Was Twilight from Bella's perspective? Anyway, we'll, we'll edit that uh, one. I, I, th- I think so. No, I, I do. I think you're correct, but I, yeah. don't, I don't really know. So there's, there's, I mean, there's contemporary examples of people mm. doing this. Absolutely. So you're in, you're in good company. Oh, yes. Okay, well, I'm going to read that. I'm going to add that to my list. Great. I mean, it's actually on my list. I'm just going to make sure I actually read it. Uh, so my next one is In Ascension by Martin McIns. <gasps> oh, and the paperback's just come out. Mm-hmm. Love this. Okay, talk to me about In Ascension. It's, okay, so it follows the journey of our main character. It features deep water exploration and space exploration. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily a sci-fi novel or a dystopian novel, even though it, mm-hmm. it kind of is, but actually it's so beautifully written and it's so there's so much in there with the characters and how they interact with each other and it's so full of thoughts and feelings that it really doesn't feel like it is dystopian sci-fi vibes. Do you it, know what I mean? It's like a perfect existential drama. Yes. And if that description doesn't put you off reading this, nothing will. No, no, it is. It's brilliant. It's so good. I, I something about it. I mean, I loved the hardback cover. Is the paperback the same? Have you seen the paperback? Yeah, they've kept the kind of like the mm. waves and the swimmer and perfect. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, because that was really lovely, um, and I that's what drew me in. And I thought, oh, okay. And I gave it a go, 
And I started it and you're starting off um, and it's kind of like childhood. There's some swimming. I don't want to say too much. There's parental figures involved. And I kind of thought, oh, this isn't as... I don't know if this is what I expected, but I persevered and I loved it. And I loved all the science aspect within it. Like she, mm. um, Martin pulls in so much science-y kind of stuff and I loved it, but weaved it in really cleverly so that it didn't feel, it never felt boring or dry or heavy. It still felt beautiful. Would yeah, you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, and I don't know if you've read any of his other novels. Yes. Now I read, um, what's the one with the leaves on the front, the white one? Is is that his first novel? Because I've not read his first one, but I've read Gathering Evidence about That's the, the one. three female scientists who go out to a uh, conservation range to study the bonobo. No, not that one. Chimpan- okay, I'm not. The other one about the detective. Sorry, I cut you off there. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. The detective. And is there like a dinner party and there's yes. microorganisms and fungi and stuff like that? Yes. So That's I, the one I want to read. I read that one. Okay. I, did, I didn't like it. Oh. But I mean, I suppose what I was getting at was that there's a lot of science running through all of his novels. Yes, He's yeah. fascinated with like microorganisms all the way up to like space stations. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, there's definitely themes, it seems, running through all of his, his books. And yeah, I loved In Ascension. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love the other so much, but I've got the third. I've got Gathering Evidence as well. Um, ready to read i'd really recommend that book so i'm gonna give that a go and see where i land um it's just interesting it's always interesting i think with authors where you love one of their books and don't like another i always find that fascinating yeah yeah it can be a bit disappointing can't Mm. it i feel like that about murakami nowadays but Mm. i've not actually read any murakami okay well (laughs) (laughs) judge judge me if you want judge me i'm not gonna judge you um so yeah that that's on my list i think everybody should should give it a go and and give it a read especially as it's now out in paperback fantastic great so my second pick is roman stories by yumpa lahiri have you heard of this one no i've actually never heard of this so um it's out in hardback at the moment and yeah jumpa lahiri is this most amazing bengali american writer I don't know if you know about her, but she moved from the US to Italy some years ago to learn Italian. And she documented this process in a really beautiful short book called In Other Words, which I would also highly recommend. I'm saying this because she then has gone on to write all of her books in Italian, which I just think is the most incredible feat. And then assist with the translation. So she's assisted with the translation this time around. Is there anything she can't do? That's like... That's skills. I mean, she just learned a second language. I mean, it's no big deal. Oh, just... Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So, um, yeah. So this is written in translation. I think she co-translates it with someone. But, I mean, I've loved Lahiri's work since her first set of short stories, which you might have heard of. They're they're called The Interpreter of Maladies. It rings a bell, but I've not read it. Okay. So that came out in 2000. I think it won the Pulitzer and loads of other prizes. And I thought Roman Stories was just as brilliant. So it's a collection of nine short stories that focus on a diverse cast of characters, some Italian, um, some not, who are all trying to make a home in Rome to varying degrees of success. It's an incredibly evocative collection. The descriptions of different Roman neighbourhoods, the quality of the light, the heat, the noise, it's all there and makes for a really immersive reading experience. And I love that with short stories where they just take you in for like half an hour or an hour. It's a skill, isn't it? A short it's, story. It's a real absolutely skill. a skill. And you can see that with writers who pen short stories and novels and what works and what doesn't. 
so all the stories I would say are great. They're very good. Um, but I found myself most invested in those stories which featured the migrant protagonists. Because I found those stories about, you know, living in exile, dealing with generational trauma and adapting to life in a new home country, definitely more affecting. And I should say Lahiri does not shy away from the very real struggles people of colour face in Italy. And there is a lot of racism in the book, both casual and quite shockingly very violent. And there were a few like WTF moments for me where I was just, I just struggled to compute the cruelty on display, even in a work of fiction. Um, but that said, I found this a really compelling collection and I highly recommend it. So it's out in hardback at the moment. I'm, I think I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to give that a read. I'm, I'm quite intrigued. And as I say, not heard anything about it. So I'm going to have to. Make a note. I think you'd enjoy it. Okay, so my next pick uh, is In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. Have you read it? (gasps) I was going to choose this, but then (gasps) I didn't. I have read it. What stopped you? What stopped me picking it? Yeah, why is it not on your I think it's our psychic link. (laughs) You just just knew from my brainwaves. my life. (laughs) I'm not in control anymore. Okay, tell me about In Memoriam, which I've read and loved. (sighs) It's... Oh, it's just the most beautiful, beautiful, I guess I'd call it a love story. Yeah. I think. I'm actually going to read you a bit of the synopsis because I I feel that I'm not going to do this one. There's quite a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, A gripping, heart-shattering love story between two soldiers in the First World War. It's 1914 and talk of war feels far away to Henry, Gaunt, Sidney Elwood and the rest of their classmates, safely ensconced in their idyllic boarding school in the English countryside. At 17, they're too young to enlist and anyway, Gaunt is fighting his own private battle, an all-consuming infatuation with his best friend, the dreamy, poetic Elwood. Not having a clue that Elwood is in love with him, always has been. When Gaunt's German mother asks him to enlist as an officer in the British Army to protect the family from anti-German attacks, Gaunt signs up immediately, relieved to escape his overwhelming feelings for Elwood. Now, the synopsis does go on, but it's quite long, mm-hmm. but that gives you a kind of a picture of where we're at, and it, it follows um, these kind of these characters that were mentioned through their journey, through the war. Um, God, it just... I found it heartbreaking and beautiful and I really cried reading this book and I felt all those emotions and I I loved all of the characters. I I mean, what did you think? I I absolutely loved this. I struck I'm I'm a bit squeamish, so I struggled with quite a lot of the violence. I mean Yeah, there's a lot of war, isn't there? Yeah, I I'm gonna mispronounce this battle, but they they I think they start off at Ypres and then they go to the Somme and we all know what happened at the Somme and I mean, Alice Wynne has done a fantastic amount of research. She's been researching this for a long time. And I think she... Didn't she even base um, the private school that they're at on Marlborough College that she attended? And she raided Marlborough College archives for lots of information about um, students in the past who'd gone to the front line. I thought it was just fantastic. I really, really enjoyed this novel. Yeah, I I mean, you can tell by the fact that I said I cried a lot through it that there are sad moments. There are happy moments in the book. Um, the, you go on a real roller coaster ride with these characters. And yes, as you've kind of raised, there is a lot of war. Some of it is quite gruesome and and harrowing, you know, what it does to these poor 
boys, you know, not even men. They're young boys. Mm. Um, I think Sydney's like 17, isn't he, or yeah, 16? and they're seeing all this violence and they're, you know, they're just... Not, they're not really ready to be soldiers. They think they are. They all kind of, they don't all want to go, but there's a lot of them and the kind of outer characters that get mentioned that kind of want to go to war because they want to support the country and they don't want to be seen as um, defectors and, and, you know, like not patriotic, not wanting to fight for the country and support. Um, and then they get there and obviously the reality of an actual war is kind of carnage and it's hard and it's... I just, yeah, I've, I kind of almost held my breath through the entire book. You know, there's so many moments where you're just like, just in, in terms of everything that's going on, you know, the relationships, the kind of hidden relationships, the, yeah. the friendships, the disagreements, the fighting, the the kind of after effects. There's so much. Alice has done such an incredible job of weaving an incredible story. Um, and I wouldn't have thought I would have loved a story set around World War One. I really wouldn't have because um, I'm not, you know, that I, if someone's like, oh, it's about the war, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'd be like, mm. but, it's a big topic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and I just think I just think she did it so well. And you can tell that she put the effort into researching it. Yeah. And I I really love the fact that even though the lead characters are from a public school, they're not kind of Jeeves and Worcester public school. So she doesn't play things as a farce. They're not just brushing things off. These, and I mean, you're saying, you know, they're young guys. They're like 17, 18, 19. And you kind of forget that when you're reading the novel. I had to keep checking myself and reminding myself that the, the, these guys are like teenagers. Mm. Um, but she does a really good job of portraying the impact of war on those young minds. And yeah, like I say, she could have played it as a bit of a farce, but she doesn't. And um, I think it's it's great for that reason. Tip top. I, I love it. And if you haven't read it, I, I do really implore you to, to read it because I wish I could read it again for the first time. Maybe check out the audiobook. Oh, that's actually not a bad show. Yeah, that's what I do. Hmm. My next book is nonfiction. It's The Darkness Manifesto, Why the World Needs the Night. I kind of cheated. This is came out as a paperback this year. I hope we okay. can do that. Yeah. So it's a book by Johan Erkluff, and I'm probably butchering his name. Uh, who is a really fascinating character. He's a Swedish bat scientist, conservationist and writer who lives in the west of Sweden. And pretty much up until writing this book, he was only really known by a small circle of academics for the work he does on bats. But since starting to write about light pollution, which is what this book is all about, yeah, he's um, been able to reach a much bigger mainstream uh, audience and I can definitely see why. I thought this book was really clearly written, which I like in science nonfiction, um, and full of illuminating facts about how light pollution distorts our lives. So Erklof starts the story one million years ago when man discovered fire and with the ability um, to extend his day. And he doesn't have so much of a problem with firelight. He sees it as the light that works in harmony with the darkness, works in harmony with the night, it's the light of myth, of the campfire, of community and story. Um, and it's all we had for hundreds of thousands of years. Erklof's main issue is with artificial electric light, as I'm sure you guessed, mm. which is much harsher and when used on an industrial scale, effectively cancels the night, which is quite terrifying, actually. He, he uses those words in translation, it cancels the night. Um, and I know, I mean, we know that light pollution can have a hugely adverse impact on human health. It can 
It can cause um, sleep deprivation. It can cause depression, obesity, hormone-related cancers. And he goes into all of this. But the bit of the book that I thought was really extraordinary was when he talks about the impact it has on the natural world. It's even more dramatic. When you think that one-third of vertebrate species and nearly two-thirds of invertebrates are nocturnal, cancelling the night is going to have a catastrophic impact. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Like, everything stops. Like, pollinators stop working. Animals can't geolocate because they can't see the moon. Mammals and fish stop reproducing and laying eggs because their mating rituals are thrown out of sync. Well, you've seen it. Um, you see it with the turtles, don't you? Um, I don't know where in the world it is, but there's a beach and people are always showing videos of it where the the turtles are hatching. Oh yes, I've and seen then these. they're going in the wrong direction. It's heartbreaking. So they're going towards the city, and they and it's something to do with the light is is throwing them off, I believe. Yeah, and we're doing this, and it's yeah. it's an issue that's not talked about in environmental circles enough. Um, so he talks about all of this over 43 short chapters, and he finishes the book with his own darkness manifesto, which is basically, how can we fix this? What kind of actions can we take on an individual um, basis to, to make a difference? Turn, turn off the lights? Turn off the lights. <laughs> Is that, is that, I'm just... Have you read this book? No, no, but that, I'm just, I'm just thinking aloud. It seems like the answer is, I, I mean, I, I presume you're going to tell me it's, there's more to it than that. This is, this is another book that you could just quiet write, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> this is a novel, novel that, it's a non-fiction book this time. Someone's done the hard work for you. You're just going to slip in on the last page. Say <laughs> so turn and off the add your notes. <laughs> Well, anyway, I read a lot of popular environmental science books, mainly about climate change. So I was really pleased to find an accessible book written on this subject. And it is definitely a subject that needs more attention. So well worth mm. a read. I laughed, but I, I do actually think this sounds really good. I also love a nonfiction. I, I, I don't think they're that easy to do well. I think they're easy to, you know, for, lots of people do them. Very few writers do them really well, where yeah. it's engaging. Yeah. And accessible it doesn't feel like hard work to read the book which i love when i'm learning but i'm having a good time at the same time i think that's the crucial thing isn't it i mean there's lots of popular science out there that's really patronizing and i've read and i just think what am i taking away from that i could have i could have got the same amount of facts out of a 10 minute youtube video well <laughs> yeah basically yeah so moving swiftly on what's next on your list uh my next one is land of milk and honey by z pam zhang <gasps> i was gonna choose this book is it on your list no it didn't make the cut oh, more psychic oh. is because you knew i you thought i'd do it or because you didn't think it was good enough to go the latter oh okay right so now funny enough I loved this book, even though I, I am aware earlier in this very episode, I said I don't like food. And I realised there's actually quite a lot of food in this. This book is food she's a chef. on the page. <laughs> this is like a menu. Just... But one of those menus where it's just pictures of the food. I'm like a hypocrite of myself. Um, <laughs> tell, me about, tell me about this book. So, Land of Milk and Honey is another kind of dystopian-esque novel. And it's set a little bit in the future. And um, in fact, I'm just going to read part of the synopsis because I've got it in front Go of me. And why not? A rapturous novel about a young chef whose discovery of pleasure alters her life and indirectly the world. A 
a smog has spread, food crops are disappearing, a chef escapes her career in London to take a job at a decadent mountaintop colony, seemingly free of the world's troubles. There, her enigmatic employer and his visionary daughter have built a lush new life for the global elite, one that reawakens the chef to the pleasures of taste, touch and her own body. And it goes on, again, I'm not going to put the whole synopsis there because who wants to listen to me do a whole synopsis? It, but it gives you a good vibe there. Absolutely. Um, I think this book could be an amazing film. I'm just going to jump ooh, in and say that. Yeah, I, I just felt actually. like it, it felt really cinematic. But tell me why you loved it. Um, I like, well, A, dystopian. I do lap up anything that's kind of like the world is ending. And especially when it's around, I find it really believable when it's it's climate related. So ones like this where there's a smog that is the kind of after effects of, of completely what we've done. I could see that. I mean, there is smog in like Beijing and all kinds of places, you know. Um so it feels really real. And also I just loved so it is also there's a romantic element to this. There's kind of a queer kind of relationship that goes on um between the uh the visionary daughter that's mentioned in the synopsis and our main character, the chef. And I really loved their relationship. It's a great relationship. That's that's the bit for me that I enjoyed. The food, ick. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I kind of got through that because I don't think there's that many... You got through it. So brave. Thank you. There's not that many, like, lesbian love stories, is there? Like, between... Or, obviously, must say, aware that, that they might not... I don't know how they both identify, but uh, mm. relationships between two women. Mm, I think mm, we're mm. seeing relationships between two men a bit more at the moment. I'm yep. kind of finding more novels. There's been a glut of novels, definitely yes. about that. Um, but not so many where there's two women of, yeah. of contemporary writing. I mean, I'm thinking of Our Wives Under the Sea. Yes, uh, yes, which I loved. That was a, I was kind of stuck between which one of those I was going to put in. Our oh, Wives okay. Under the Sea or this. And then I felt I didn't want both of them because... They are similar in that respect. Mm, fantastic. Why did you, what stopped you putting it on there? I mean, I just think there were, there were so many other great books that I wanted to put in my top five. Um, and I didn't not like it. I kind of wanted more. I wanted more world building. I wanted to know more about the catastrophe. Yeah, um, it does to be the fair. Beginning. Only touches, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. What's your next one? My next one is, my fourth choice, is Dying of Politeness. So this is a memoir by the American actress, campaigner and sports person, Gina Davis. I should say actor. We don't say actress to anyone, no. Sorry. Men. Actor. Um, I'm slightly cheating with this one because this book was released in 2022, but I've only just discovered it this year, so in my head it makes sense that it's on my list. Yeah, and I, I, I haven't heard of it. Okay. Well, I was going to say, because I know there was, there's been like a plethora of um, amazing celebrity memoirs this year to choose from. But to be honest, I didn't even know I liked this genre until I found this book. And maybe I don't like this genre, maybe it's just this book, but anyway, to be continued. So this has to be one of the most down-to-earth and moving celebrity memoirs I've read in a long time. I mean, I had a suspicion that I might like Gina Davis before I started, um, but I hold her in even higher esteem now. So it's got all the usual path to Hollywood stuff, as you would expect. She's an actor. She talks about getting her big break on Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman, her Academy Award win for The Accidental Tourist with William Hurt, her time filming Beetlejuice with Alec Baldwin and Michael Keaton, probably one of my favourite films of all time, her film roles alongside Madonna. You remember that? And 
I don't remember that, but... Oh, okay. Sorry. Generational difference, yeah. listeners. <laughs> she was in a film with Madonna. League of Their Own. <laughs> Watch it. And she talks about being sexually assaulted by Bill Murray. No! Which I had no idea about and really, really shocked me. And like, never meet your heroes. And like, Bill, and like, not all men, but clearly all men. Oh, fuck. I've got a Bill Murray tattoo on my side. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? No, and it's misspelt because I got it when I was in Thailand. But oh. What does it say? Bill Mutty? Is it... <laughs> It looks it looks like it's basically not got the A between the two R's and the Y. So it makes it, re, it almost from a distance looks like Bill Mummy. Well, you're just very, very lucky then, aren't you, Sapphire? Well, I might, it might have to say that's what it is if it turns out that <laughs> my Mummy. literal hero from his SNL days is... Has it got an actual picture of Bill Murray's face? No, oh, no it hasn't got a portrait, but it's in a love heart. Oh, okay. And it literally says, I love... Bill Murray. We'll just pretend it's Bill Mummy and we'll, we'll... I mean, I've got like books. I've got tons of books about Bill. Get I've rid got, of them. I had a cardboard cutout. Like, this is actually heartbreaking. I mean, scrap the show. Like, this... I know, I know, I know. Oh I don't goodness. know. I don't know why I'm so surprised anymore. It's all just so depressing. Shall I push on? Yeah, I mean, continue, okay. but I'm heartbroken. Yeah, I know. I know. Me too. Well, you've got the tattoo. I just read the book. Um, I mean, I should say she does speak um, quite sa- candidly about sexual harassment throughout the book. There's a especially harrowing section right at the beginning where she recounts being sexually assaulted as a young girl by a neighbour whilst on her paper round. So do be warned, this is a very honest account and can be quite raw in places. Um, I enjoyed the whole book, but I think where it really worked for me was when she spoke about her relationships with the other women in her life especially her mother who grew up very poor and was an enormous support for her and her Thelma and Louise co-star Susan Sarandon who seems to come across more like a a soulmate than a friend it was like a real like self-awakening moment yeah when Gina met Susan I feel that should be a documentary anyway. yes um, I mean, she's just a likable character and she's so self-deprecating. She's genuinely humble about all of her incredible achievements. I mean, she speaks fluent Swedish. She was in, um, she was an Olympic archer. She has won numerous film and TV awards. She was in Grey's Anatomy, for crying out loud, if that wasn't enough. She founded the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media to reduce inequality in Hollywood. This is the person who you should have a tattoo of on your body. I'm just saying. Yeah, all right, right. And she's an international ambassador. I don't know why my voice went up there. <laughs> for children's health, because I'm just, I'm fangirling Gina Davis right now. Um, and do you know what? If this was anyone else, I would have turned off long ago. But she kept me reading. So I think that's recommendation enough. Yeah, okay. I need to read this. She does sound absolutely incredible. Um, I am still, I'm still reeling. So I apologise. Um and I'm just going to try and distract myself by Should jumping straight into Straight into my, our last. Yeah. Mine is The Bee Sting <gasps> by Paul Murray. Yes, I love this book. Yeah, I, I, I kind of toyed with whether, I mean, I was like, it is one of my top books of the year. And I was like, shall I talk about it on the pod? Because I think we might actually dive into this book at some point talk about it but can we make like a promise now that we will dive into it yes like even if it's later next year even if it's like season two season three yeah because it was so good um it's a family saga it follows um so uh, a mum a dad a daughter a son um it's set in kind of like middle uh 
Midlands in Ireland. Um, I think kind of kind of like commuting distance to Dublin. Yeah. Um, it's got multiple points of view. It follows each of these characters, and it's kind of like the breakdown of. Um, Dickie and Imelda, which is the mum and the dad, is kind of the breakdown of of their relationship um, and kind of the breakdown of, I'd, I'd say, their life. This is kind of set when, within the crash. Um, so Dickie's car business kind of goes under because car businesses were really hard hit um, during the crash. They kind of had a big boom in Ireland and were hit particularly hard. And so, you know, they, they kind of don't have any money. They're having to sell things from home. Um, and it's stressful for everybody involved. And then you've also got Cassie, the daughter, and she's kind of coming of age. She's getting ready to go to college and to sit her final exams. She's kind of got this, all the stress that comes when your parents are arguing and not getting on and when your life has completely changed. They've kind of gone from being quite a wealthy family to really kind of struggling. And also this, this you know, she's got all the usual teenage desires. She's kind of got this slightly unhealthy obsession with her best friend and she's desperate to get away and get out of what she sees as this like really boring town and then you've got pj the son um and pj is a bit different from i would say all of the others in that all of the others are kind of striving for change and they want kind of like i would say newness and and novelty and um, they're all a bit bored. I really like PJ. I loved PJ. He, he gave me real, like, the curious incident of the dog in the night vibes. Oh, yeah. He just, like, told it how it was. I mean, all the characters are fantastic. And he was so sweet, you know? Like, he yes. is the kind of the youngest of all of them. And he ultimately kind of, he's almost wanting to go back in time. And, and he kind of goes in, he wants everything to kind of be as it was. He wants his parents yeah, to be getting on. he wants on. to fix everything. He doesn't want his sister to go off to college. He wants her to stay and be back like she used to when she used to actually play with him and give him time. Um, and yeah, and his whole, I, I, I won't ruin it because no spoilers, but his whole storyline with his uh, online friend, Ethan. Mm, you just knew that was going to a dark yeah, place. Yeah, and I just, I was stressed for PJ the entire, I, I as soon as he was mentioned, palms. I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Like, no, please let me be wrong. Um, I just thought it was so clever. I thought it was so well written and it's such a chunky book, but it kept me hooked the entire time. And literally by the end, I was like, oh my God, it was one of those books I put down, I closed it and I literally had to tell Nick about it, even though he hadn't read the book. And I don't think he was particularly interested in reading the book, but I still had to walk him through like what had just happened because I was like, shit, like. Shit has gone down. Yes, like I need and to. And you need to know about I it. I need to discuss this and just like the backstories and oh, I just thought it was really, really clever and moving and gripping and. I felt for all of these characters in different ways and I really got into to all of them. The build-up was incredible. Mm. I mean, you say you've used the word gripping a few times and that's what really comes to mind. I mean, the first four chapters when you get a you know, different perspective from um, the, the four members of the family, starting with Cass, then PJ, so you get the children, then you get Imelda's chapter, oh my gosh, Auntie Rose, and then you get Dickie. And it just builds and builds and builds. Mm. And then the end of the novel, obviously no spoilers, but just in terms of the, the way it's structured, it's just like these really, really short chapters flicking yeah. from one character to the next. It's just like, it's like an incredible HBO drama. Mm. And I hate comparing books to TV, but it just felt like this was, you know, again, I'm going to use that word, cinematic. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was everything. I loved it. Um, I'm 
I'm a Paul Murray fan now. So I, I think it's actually, I know we said no favourites with our favourites, but it's my favourite. Change your Bill Murray tattoo to Paul Murray. Oh. This literally writes itself. Oh my goodness. Guys. You're welcome. <laughs> Producer James but, is like, already thought of this. I didn't, that didn't even cross my mind. Okay, but do, uh, okay, I need to do some digging into Paul Murray. See if he's more sound. He's legit. I think. Yeah, I was going to say. Shit. Look, I've met Paul, my lesson. <laughs> don't let us down, please, Paul. We're running out of names. <laughs> okay, shall I talk about Go. my last book? Yes. Go. Um, my last book mm. is Northwards by the American author, Daniel Mason. Have you heard of this one? I've heard of this, but I haven't read it. I think this is his third novel. Mm. He's written other historical fiction before. I had a bit of a tortured start with Northwards um, in that I tried to listen to the Spotify audiobook but it just didn't take I mean that happens sometimes but I knew there was a story there I knew I had to give it a chance so I picked up the print version and I'm really glad I did so the book focuses on the inhabitants of a little woodland cottage in New England starting in the 1760s and continuing through to the present day with scenes in some undated moment in the future he doesn't say and the story is told in fragments that work well, they work really well to capture the lives of the inhabitants through these time periods and their relationships with the cottage, each other, but also the land and the animals around them and all of these like little um, objects that are left in the cottage that kind of last for hundreds of years and have different careers in different people's lives. It's really, really fascinating. So among a huge cast of characters, probably too many to mention here, there's a young couple who have fled a Puritan colony there are Native Americans defending their territories. There are various people hunting slaves, mm. um, which was quite distressing. And there's a soldier. Uh, there's a really sweet part, actually, a story about a soldier who's left the army, who's deserted the army to keep an orchard at the cottage. And I should say the, the orchard is kind of like a big character in the book as well. Um, okay. It kind of what well, it kind of grows and contracts and turns into different things over right, the course okay. of hundreds okay, of years, as you. you can imagine. Mm. I think. What I really loved about the book was that the central premise reminded me of one of my favourite graphic novels of all time, which is, and let's see if the psychic link is working. I'm expecting you to say the name now. Oh, a graphic novel? Yeah. Oh, no, mate, I don't. <laughs> Such a disappointment to the whole team. To the whole team. Um, my favourite graphic novel of all time is Here. By Richard Maguire. Yeah, I never even heard of it. So the psychic, maybe okay, it goes one way. Don't rub salt into the wound, Saf. Okay, <laughs> come on. Which, um, so it's in a similar sense, it follows the lives of the inhabitants of a single house over 100,000 years. And I think both books do an incredible job at telling an epic story of social and environmental change over a long period of time, but also managing to marry that big narrative arc with quite intimate portraits of the inhabitants as they lived in the moment. So you're never bored. There's always drama happening. Um, and I found that really moving. And yeah, I definitely recommend, definitely recommend this book. You're nodding enthusiastically. Do you think it's something you might pick up? Yeah, I mean, this sounds really interesting. Um, it is. And again, it, yeah, I'd heard of it. I'm still coming around to the idea that, yeah, I quite like historical fiction. I still have to remind myself that <laughs> that those are things that I like now. Yeah. Um, because I'm new now. Um <laughs> so I, I want to give improved. this yeah, I want to give this a go. I think this 
It sounds really good. I, I, I'm intrigued and I'm going to come back to you on it. But. I mean, it had a scary hardback cover, just a little bit of cover prejudice there, which, mm. you know, might put you Yeah, off. I think that didn't... There was didn't, like a little squat, like angry doll. Yeah. Or maybe a girl. Didn't, anyway, anyway. Didn't help. Go. Yeah. So, Joseph, I do have a little question for you. Um, I'd like to know, is there anything in particular you've got your eye on to read sort of over the Christmas break? That is a very good question. I think I have three books that I... I know I definitely want to make time for over the Christmas period. Shall I give you the rundown quickly? Yes, please. I mean, there might be more, but these are the three that are kind of like, I have to read. Yeah, that goes without saying. So what are the three you have to read? The new Rebecca Mackay. Yes. I have some questions for you. Yes, That's the title, by the way. No, I know this. (laughs) (laughs) There was a moment where neither of us knew what the... We're just streamlined. We're on the same page. So um, this is the... New novel by Rebecca Mackay. Yes, because I because I actually said it wasn't out till next spring in the last episode, but I was wrong. I misspoke. Oh, okay. Because it's not out in all places at the moment. Because, I mean, I don't want to talk about the other place, but it is in Waterstones at the moment. So it's, yes. this is an issue with stockists and distributors and things like that. Yes. So it comes up on my wholesaler, basically, that it's not available until next year but it is out in some places already, um, such as Waterstones, which is why I was like, oh, yeah, it's not out to next year, only to then be like, well, how come so many UK people I know are reading it? Lo and behold, it's out in Waterstones. So it is out now. I, I apologise, guys. But yes, this is, funny enough, this is also on my list of what to read Ooh, in the Christmas fantastic. Break. So I think I talked about it on a previous episode, but I absolutely love The Great Believers. I know you Me did too. too. Yeah. So I'm really excited to read this. And I've kind of purposely kept myself in the dark about this one as I want it to be a bit of a surprise. But I do know the story features a murder at a boarding school. And I think the lead character is an academic and podcaster who goes back to the boarding school yes. to reinvestigate the crime. Yeah, in a, a kind of like only murders in the building serial fashion. I'm yeah. hoping. I, that's the vibe I picked. Uh, same, same. I could be completely wrong. Same as you. No, that's correct. It's like, yeah, she goes, uh, there's a murder in like 1995 or mid 90s. Um, of a classmate and then it's a school reunion I believe and yes she's like an academic and a podcaster I cannot and she wait. goes back I and cannot, that's all I know I as cannot well. wait to read it um, but it'll be really interesting because obviously the um, Great Believers was like a Pulitzer uh, finalist um, so it'll be really interesting just to see like how this book which sounds quite different will compare she's an incredible writer and she's mm. another one who's so young and she's just pumping out these incredible novels. The second book I am going to make time for over the Christmas period is Blackouts by Justin Torres, which was just published in November this year. Um, I stumbled across a review for this book in The Guardian, and I knew I had to read it just from the first paragraph. Mm-hmm. So I quote, If you locked Shirley Jackson and David Wojnarowicz in a room together, they might invent the kind of mouldering dream world that Justin Torres conjures in his new novel, Blackouts, a queer gothic version of the Hotel California. I mean, why read the book? No, read the book. I mean, what is there not to like? That sounds incredible. Again, it's not a novel that I know a lot about, even though we just have that great description. I know the story is loosely focused on the research of Jan Gay, who was a real-life academic who studied queer desire, but that's about it. But I'm really looking forward to reading it. And my third and final book on my hit list is Closer by Dennis Cooper. And we've we've talked about this before, me and you. Um, so this has just been published by Serpent's Tale. I think like 30 years after it was originally published in the US, it's just got its UK release. It's in paperback and it's the first book in Cooper's George Miles cycle. 
and follows his friend George through a series of, I guess, nihilistic relationships um, and his trials with addiction. And it's, for me, it's just the sort of punishingly depressing queer classic I need mm. to counterbalance all the Christmas cheer um, that I'm probably <laughs> bring it back going down. to experience over the next couple of weeks. So what are the books that you're really looking forward to reading? Yeah, so a couple of those that I've got my eye on, I have got uh, closer is on my shelf. Um, Great. So that's a potential. But a couple that I really uh, want to read. Um, the End of Alice by A.M. Holmes. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. Um, so I read, earlier in the year, I read a book called Tampa by Alyssa Nutting. Yep. Um, which was about a female teacher who had a penchant for young schoolboys and she would kind of seduce them and it was essentially her unravelling. Quite dark. And someone said, you know, if I found Tampa to be dark, uh, then I really needed to read The End of Alice. Um, so I'm going to give it a go. This is kind of the summary. A child killer writes to a 19-year-old woman. He is serving his 23rd year in prison. She, under the guise of a seemingly sweet and bland persona, is intent on seducing a young neighbourhood boy. Uh, it's published by Granter, who I always think do great books. And it was originally published in 1996, so it kind of is old for me. Mm. I'm usually quite contemporary with my choices. But i just intrigued. Um, I also, you know, I, I've read Lolita and was fascinated by it. Um, I thought Tampa was really interesting, and I thought the fact that the thing that caught me with Tampa was the fact that it was a female protagonist and it was a female seducing young boys, whereas often these books like Lolita is a man seducing so turning a young that girl. kind of established yeah, trope Yeah, flipping on its it. Head. And it's, it's really interesting. interesting how differently people take it. Like Tampa on the front cover, it says how funny it is. And I was like, as if we're calling this book funny, like it's really dark. And yeah, there are moments where you do kind of sort of laugh and then think I shouldn't be laughing. Um, but I was like, I can't believe they put this on the cover because if it was the, the other way around and this was a man who had seduced, was trying to seduce young women... We wouldn't be saying that it was funny. We'd be saying something quite different. Yes, it would yeah. be de very different. So I'm really intrigued to see like what the end of Alice kind of is all about. And again, it's got um, it's got a male protagonist and a female protagonist. So it's be quite interesting. And obviously, because it was published such a while ago, I'll be quite intrigued to see how that has been written and, and what it's about. Um, so that's on there. Great. Um, and then another one I want to read is The Town of Babylon by Alejandro Varela. Have you heard of it? I've heard of Alejandro Varela, but I've not heard of this book. Tell me about it. So the publisher, which is Astra House, says a novel about the essential nature of community in maintaining one's own health. The Town of Babylon is an intimate portrait of queer, racial and class identity, a call to reevaluate the ties of societal bonds and the systems in which they are forged. Um, so I follow some American book people on TikTok, and this is where I got the recommendation for this. Like, I hadn't heard of it. Um, and it's a very cool pink cover with some very nice font um, on it. And I, I don't know, something about it just called out to me. And it's been on my pile for a couple of weeks. And I've like, right, I'm, I'm going to get around to this over the Christmas period. It sounds great. Can I just jump in and say mm. best pink cover of all time? Go. That's a tough question, isn't it? Yeah, why do you have to Can go I so give you niche? Mine? Yeah, what's yours? <laughs> Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto. Oh, yeah, that is a good one. It's got like the, because it's like a hot pink and then it's got the like yeah. orange bits, hasn't it? Because it's got like four. Hot and pink, stuff, like. you know your pinks. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll come back <laughs> to your fuchsia, pink choice. Magenta. Fuchsia, yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, I haven't got one off the top of my head, but I have got another book that I want to read over the a last book I'd like to get to over Tell the me Christmas about period. It. When I say last book, there's loads I want to get to, but one that's 
really high we up should on my say list. we're not just going to read three books each yeah i mean i'm expecting to get through more than that's i like usually a would break. um because yeah <laughs> because of just lying on the sofa eating food and reading books basically um so this book is called diquette by jenny fran davis have you heard of it no mm. but i think i want to read it yeah really cool so uh, this is um a book that's kind of I've wanted to read for ages. Um, it's on my Christmas list, so it's one I know I know is going to be under the tree at the moment, waiting for me. Um, so six lesbians go to a country home for the holidays. Um, we just need to stop the recording and read this book now. Yeah, it, I think it's going to be steamy, maybe funny, maybe messy in, in the relationship sense, maybe also in the steamy sense. I don't know what they're going to get up to. Um, but it, it just looks really good. Um, it's got this really cool cover and... I'm just really excited for it. I mean, it's called Die Cat. Why would you not? Why would you not want to read that? Yeah. It's giving me like Alison Bechtel vibes. Yes. Like dykes to watch out for. Yes. But steamier. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for those. You are so welcome. So now we're at that part of the show where we try to help one of our listeners find their next must read book. Are we ready? We are ready. Our request today comes from Frankie. Hey, Novel Thoughts. I've recently read a book called Young Mungo by Douglas Stewart and I loved the way it was told. Uh, the story unfolded beautifully and it was real, human, pure, gentle and brutal all at once. Uh, the author is from a working class background and I'd really love to hear and read more stories by working class authors so that I can get to know um, a perspective of the world that I don't fully understand. Um, so if you have any recommendations, I'd love to hear them. Mm. Good request. Very good request. Thank you, Frankie. So I immediately thought of um, Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. Yep. So set in Ireland, shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction 2023 and the Nota Bene Prize 2023, which I was a judge on. Humble Impressive. brag. <laughs> and that's what got me reading the book. And... I feel like that could be right up your street, Frankie. That could fit in really well. Um, I also thought of a non-fiction called Chavs by Owen Jones. Yes. Yeah, yeah I've read that this. feels like Great. classic one because it's looking, looking at the demonization of the working class. Um, a couple of years old now, but still very, very re relevant. I think it was published in 2020. Um, so it was actually from one of the books that was on the, my sort of pre-reading list for university. Um, and I really loved it. And, and I, Frankie, I think you should read this. Um, I also thought of Lem Sisse's My Name Is Why, another non-fiction kind of it. memoir. Looks great. Mm, really good, really good. Uh, all of his books are, but this is kind of his memoir and and very very interesting and would fit nicely of what you're after. Um, now, this last one might be a bit left field as I don't actually, I don't think, basically Demon Copperhead. I don't know if Barbara Kingsolver's middle class, upper class, working class. I'm not actually sure on her background personally, but the story itself is all about um, working class characters and it's about the opioid crisis. And it, I mean, I won't say too much because you may well have heard of it. You may have even read it, but that I definitely thought, you know, is next to go to after reading things like Young Mungo. It's a great novel. And I think you raise an interesting point. I don't think the author necessarily has to be working class. I think it just needs to treat working class themes and characters in a sensitive way. Yes, that's, I mean, I thought so, but this is why, yeah, I just kind of framed it with a, this could be, yeah, no, <laughs> this sensible, could be left field. Sensible. Okay, my um, recommendation is Edward Louis' quartet of books, um, starting with The End of Eddie. 
Have yeah. You, have you heard of these? Yes, yeah. So these, I think they came out in like 2014 or, or earlier, but they've only just been translated into English. I think, no, the first one was translated into English in 2017. So the first book is set in Hallencourt. So it's a very working class town in northern France where we meet Eddie and his family. Eddie's father is bedridden and a morphine addict after a workplace accident. And his mother is a care worker with growing mental health problems. The first book follows Eddie's home and school life, uh, I think from late childhood up into early adolescence. I mean, he's an awkward, a socially awkward child. He's quite openly gay. He's quite effeminate. And, well, you can imagine how people responded to him. Um, the language and the violence is quite graphic in places. You're nodding. I'm, yeah, it is. It's, it's quite a lot. You need to take a breather reading this book. But it's never gratuitous. And I think ultimately it's a very powerful story about being yourself and not backing down. Yeah, I think that's a really good choice. Great. Well, hopefully Frankie will enjoy all of those recommendations. I hope so. Fingers crossed. Uh, thank you, Frankie. That's just about the end of the show. Next week, we'll be doing this all over again. So make sure you join us for part two of our Christmas New Year special, where we'll be discussing the new releases we can't wait to get our hands on in 2024 and chatting about that perennial topic of conversation in bookish circles. Why we read, how we read, what we read, and how do we read so much? And dishing out some great recommendations to some more lovely listeners. As always, links to everything we've been talking about today will be in the show notes. Please feel free to like and subscribe to the pod, tell a friend or leave us a review. It all helps. If you're looking for your next great read and you'd like to be part of the show, send us your recommendation request to ntpramsgate at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at novelthoughts underscore pod. Bye. Bye.